There are a lot of people who are unhappy at work. And we know that at least some of their suffering is caused by the fact that the workplace doesn't always feel like a safe place. When people don't feel safe, they become guarded. And when people get guarded, they disconnect from each other. Disconnected people create disconnected teams. And that is really bad for business. I'm Candace Pentiato, and I lead a company called The People Side. We help companies get to the heart of human performance and improve team dynamics through an experience that we call the leadership living room. In the living room, we help teams reconnect with each other and have a better, more deeply human conversation. On this podcast, we are going to invite in business leaders, executive coaches, and leadership development experts to explore the conversations that people rarely have at work that impact the way people work together every single day. Welcome to the Leadership Living Room. Hey humans, welcome to the Leadership Living Room. I'm Candace Pentiato, and on this episode, we are going to explore what might be the buzziest buzzword of 2020, and that is resilience. Now, here's an interesting fact. The term resilience used to just be a scientific term used to measure persistence. But now there's so much being written on this topic that there are about 100 definitions of that word out there. But most of them center around the idea of this, that it is a person's ability to absorb the impact of a disruptive event that's happened in their life and then bounce back quickly into performance. The first time I heard that definition, I conjured up a vision of a toy I had when I was young. It was this inflatable clown with this big red nose and in the bottom of it was sand. And you would hit this clown in the nose and it would fly down to the ground and then bounce back up, ready to take another shot. You know, like a chumbawamba doll, this thing would get knocked down and get back up again. And that's really a great metaphor for what resilient people are able to do is to get back up again and, and quickly and bounce back into performance. Now, eventually we hit that clown one too many times, and it didn't pop back up anymore. And I think that that's what all companies need to be worried about right now is whether or not their employees are going to be able to continue to absorb the impact of everything that's happening inside and outside of the workplace that is, you know, disruptive. These all of these disruptive events and to expect that they would continue to perform is is um, maybe something that we should reconsider. Another term that we are introducing a lot of leaders to is VUCA. And VUCA is actually an acronym that came out of the U.S. military in the 1990s. And what it refers to is the dynamic environment that, you know, soldiers were being asked to lead in, right? That, that idea of, a, of an environment where a few things were true. The V stood for volatile. This was an environment that demanded that you would be able to react quickly to ongoing changes that are completely out of your control and unpredictable. Just this emergence of a brand new thing that you'd have to deal with. Everything from politics to gas prices to, you know, wow, everything that's been happening around the pandemic. You can't predict these kinds of things, but how quickly are you able to respond to volatility? The U stood for uncertainty which meant that the environment's requiring you to take action without certainty. It's operating in the gray space, the, the lack of yeses and nos. Um, I've never seen something like this before. I'm not sure what I should do, but I still have to act despite my uncertainty. 
complex. The environment's dynamic. There's lots of interdependencies. If you pull this lever, something over here is going to move. So you really have to appreciate that it's all connected. We live in global matrixed worlds right now. And that idea of navigating complexity is, is a skill set that many of us are still developing. And then it's ambiguous. The environment's presenting unclear or inexact choices. So that's VUCA, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And while we might not be in hostile combat zones, we find that the word VUCA is something that business leaders can increasingly relate to to describe the business world. So that's really why we want to dig into resilience right now. And to help us do that, we've invited Angelica Jones to come into the leadership living room with us virtually from her home in Washington, D.C., uh, where she works and practices uh, positive psychology and um, executive coaching. Angel studied at the University of Pennsylvania and got her master's degree in positive psychology from what are the thought leaders of resilience at this time. So we're going to ask her about what it was like to study under those thought leaders and get some perspective from her around why resilience is just so important right now for leaders in the world. If you don't have a cup of coffee in your hand yet, I hope you go and grab one because this is going to be a great conversation. Hello, Angel. Hi, Welcome to Candace. the Leadership Living Room. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. I wish that you were here in person, but in this era, I think we're all getting used to this being as good as we can do and just talking it's with each other this way. So thank yeah. you for signing up to do it. I'm so grateful to be here. Really excited well, to talk with you today. Me too. Me too. So I, when I met you or, or got introduced to you, I was fascinated by the experience that you had at the University of Pennsylvania studying under the people who wrote the books on this topic. Can you just tell us a little bit about what it was like to go through that master's program with some of the masters of resilience? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I have no idea how I snuck in um, <laughs> because not just uh, the faculty, the the people that I was I was literally studying at the knees of the greats, um, Marty Seligman, Angela Duckworth. Um, those that are familiar with the concept of grit will recognize that name. Adam Grant, he's from Wharton and just um, amazing, one of the kindest people I've ever met. And George Valiant, who did the Harvard study of men, yeah. the longitudinal adult development study. Uh, Barry Schwartz up at Swarthmore, Paradox of Choice. Just, I was so fortunate. Right. But in addition to those folks and just having that first person access, being able to just talk to them and bounce ideas off of them and pick their brains, it's just amazing. But the people that I was in that class with, there were mm -hmm. 35 of us my year, and I was surrounded by equally impressive peers. Yeah. When you decided to go to the University of Pennsylvania, what really prompted you to get curious about resilience? So I, I think you mentioned that I was working in the field of forensic interviewing. Mm -hmm. Pretty heavy work. 
I was interviewing victims and witnesses to violent crimes, oftentimes children, developmentally delayed adults, um, people that were in really traumatic experiences. Yeah. And I was generally the first point of contact that they had. Mm. So I was central to this multidisciplinary team approach that was taken on these cases. And the effort was to minimize the number of times that these people or children had to tell their story and recount those things that they had either witnessed or endured. My role really was central in that everyone that I worked with, prosecutors, law enforcement officers, social workers, mental health personnel, medical personnel, victim advocates, they all needed to know that person's story, their statement. And I was the one that was fortunate enough to sit in the room and take those statements and carry them forward so that that person didn't have to go through it over and over again. Right. In doing that, I looked around at my, my teammates and I saw that there were people that were doing really well and really effectively managing this type of work, kind of dodging that vicarious trauma bullet. And there were others that were falling prey to these, we call them maladaptive coping behaviors. Yeah. So that looked like maybe they were drinking a little too much. They were having a lot of back pain and maybe taking more medicine for the, that back pain yeah. than was prescribed. Um, there was domestic violence showing up in some families and even suicidality. When I looked at these people who were brave enough to come in and want to do this work, their hearts were in it, and yet they were struggling so hard with the day-to-day carrying that load. And I, I started to just kind of pull the threads on that and figure out what was it that was different about those people that were there and were able to do this work over the long haul and manage effectively, and those who were struggling. And in just my own self-study, it led me down this road to resilience. And through that reading, it took me straight to applying for that program at Penn. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And the master's degree is called um, Applied Positive Psychology, right? That's right. Yeah. So tell us just a little bit about what that term means for those so, of us who might not know it. Yeah, that's a great question. It's it's not very common at all. There are different universities now around the world that are starting to offer it, but Penn was the first to offer that program. And what makes it so different and unique is positive psychology is generally a new field of study within mm-hmm. psychology. And it's it's kind of, it's a terminal degree. It's meant to be a terminal degree. So it prepares you not only to have the academic underpinnings, the science and the research that all of these practices are built on, but the second half of the year, after you've learned the research and the history behind how it came to be, then you get to learn how to apply it. Mm-hmm. You get to learn all of these interventions and ways to bring positive psychology into whatever domain you work within. Yeah. So that was another thing that was interesting about the peers. My peers came from all different domains of life. 
So there were finance guys in there, there and women, and there were therapists and there were coaches and um, athletes. Yeah. Um, just and the range of people. We had a young woman who was 21, and one woman that had turned 70 during during our program. Wow! So, so a mix. super diverse audience, but all sort of intellectually curious about the idea of what is the impact of our mindset when we're in the middle of challenge, struggle. Um, needing to perform, you know, like I'm imagining right. that athlete wondering about the six inches between your ears as a game changer and in, in how you perform on a field. Yeah. That is um, something that maybe is making me think about the conversation we had before this conversation where, you know, my question is, can people learn to be resilient? Right. Yeah. And, and, and what you said back to me is, well, it's not a trait, it's a practice, right? It is a daily practice. So can you say a little bit more about that? If I, if, if I said, can I develop this capability? What's the answer? The answer is absolutely yes. You right. absolutely can. Once upon a time, it was believed that it was a trait, that it was something that you, resilience was something you were either born with or you weren't. And then this woman, Ann Mastin came along. She did some research on kids. And she looked at kids who were in some kind of adverse environments yeah. and saw that some of them were very resilient. Most of them were very resilient, actually. And she started to kind of look at it. Were they born this way? And it came down to she learned through her research that we could actually train this stuff. We can use these interventions, train people to think differently to behave differently, to exercise more. Their resilience is like this cocktail of different things that just build on each other. Yeah. And the more you throw into the mix, the better you are at it, frankly. And yeah. it is a practice. It's something that isn't just there and we don't just draw on it at times of adversity or challenge. This is every Tuesday stuff. Yeah. If you right. can't cope with a regular Tuesday, if you're losing your stuff at work because of little things, you're you're really going to crumble when the big stuff hits, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think this idea that it's a fluid practice that it, you can be very resilient in certain areas of your life and lack yeah. resilience in others. And so it's a constant application of these skills to any situation that you're finding yourself in. It's not, it's not, um, okay, great. I have it figured out and now I'm done. Right. Being right. resilient. Yeah. I mean, think of it like a muscle. It's, you don't just go to the gym once and, and you're done. Right. You don't just learn how to do a, a CrossFit move one time, execute that move and okay, now I'm strong. Right. No, it, it takes ongoing practice to maintain so this is good news, Angel, that we can learn to become more resilient. So if I want to go to the resilience gym and I want to start working out my capability to become a more resilient person at work, what are some really important things that you think I should know? Yeah, that's a great question. I think just like going to the gym, it's important to have just a basic understanding, at least, of our physiology, right? Yeah. So in that vein, really 
taking a, a look at the neuroscience behind resilience and looking at what's at play and what happens when we're not being resilient as opposed to what we build when we're practicing some of these skills yep. that make us more resilient. Yep. One of the things, the, the most important thing I think to point out is our brains are hardwired with this negativity bias. And the negativity bias is a default way of thinking. We are hardwired to scan our environment and always look for threat, for danger. Mm -hmm. Now, this made sense back when we were living in caves. It doesn't make sense anymore. We've evolved mm -hmm. since then, and we don't face the same kind of threat. So we have to be really intentional about avoiding that negativity bias. What the negativity bias does is it takes us into this downward spiral where we yeah. narrow our attention and we can kind of get really hung up in this threat response. Yeah. You've heard it called an amygdala hijack. Right. And what happens is when we're sensing that danger, these brain circuits get involved and they shut down some of our other systems so that we can kick into survival mode. We're in fight, flight, or freeze. Yeah. Our body dumps some stress chemicals and we have all of these reactions, right? We're also not performing very well in those situations, right? Totally. We can survive very well, but when it comes to the work and the tasks and the performances that we need to execute now in our daily lives, that doesn't serve us. That, that way of being is not helpful at all to our performance. Yeah. Yep. And I think Marty Siegelman writes about, you know, the three P's thinking that what can send you down into that negative spiral is perceiving a situation as permanent, right? This is not a bad situation that's going away. It's I'm in a permanent situation. Um, I allow it to become pervasive and affect all areas of my life. And then this idea of uh, personal, I'm taking what's happening. Like it, it's, it's personal to me, right? If it, mm -hmm. if it rains on your wedding day, it's probably not personal, but some people are less resilient because they make everything sort of about themselves as if they, yeah should have been able to control it. So that that kind of thinking can send you down into that negative spiral you're talking about where adrenaline and cortisol start to elevate in your body and you can't access executive function and performance. So I think that's a super important point for people to really understand. Um, what else should we know about that? So, so if that's the negative spiral. Well, the good news is yeah, we have some pretty easy ways to tap the reset and get ourselves out of that state. Yes, let's it, talk about that. And it can be as simple as a gratitude practice. Gratitude is a positive emotion that is actually pretty magical. I, I don't use that word lightly, but it really has a, a disproportionate effect on being stuck in that negative place. If we yeah. can intentionally shift our attention from that danger trigger, yeah. it's like hitting a reset button. It has yeah. this undoing effect, right? Mm. It's not just gratitude, but gratitude is really powerful, the research has indicated. So starting with that reset button, yeah. experiencing a positive emotion such as gratitude can really lift us out and start this upward spiral. Let's and, make, let's uh let's come up with an example of doing this. So I, I just drove here to the studio today, yeah. and 
you know, something that frequently happens, right? Somebody cuts you off in traffic and all of my adrenaline and cortisol can start rushing through my body and I can get real upset about it, right? And that's that negative spiral. I could send myself into a negative spiral. Right. What would be a way of me putting myself into a positive, more resilient mindset in a moment like that? Yeah. So like we mentioned before, resilience is a skill that must be practiced. So it's going to take some time, but self-awareness is Mm self-correcting. So if we realize that we're doing, we're getting stuck in that downward spiral, our first reaction is to spout profanity at the windshield or give somebody a special salute or lay on the horn. Those kind of things. Never. Angel, never. (laughs) Never yes. happens. Yes. But if th- those are kind of our default, that's that limbic hijack mm-hmm. that happens, that amygdala hijack. And it kicks us into having these thoughts. Impulsive, and those, instinctive behavior. Yep. That's right. So we have these thoughts. We interpret that car crossing over in front of us. Our brains are really quick at making these interpretations. Sends us a message that this is danger. We kick into those emotions and those reactions and physiological reactions. It's almost instantaneous. What's important is to realize that there is that brief nanosecond of thought that takes place there. And that's where we have control. So instead of falling prey to that amygdala hijack, letting ourselves get caught up in that, doing what we always do, that's where our brain is hardwired, recognizing that we are not really at risk. And reframing it in our head instead mm-hmm. of thinking, I could have died. Oh my, you know, and, and all yeah. of those initial thoughts that come into our brain that drive those emotions and reactions. With enough practice, you can get to the point where, and self awareness, you yep. get to the point where you say, Oh, thank goodness. I, I'm glad I saw that car drift into my lane. That could have been a really bad accident. That's I'm so grateful into, we didn't yeah. hit each other. So yes. glad. Taps into that gratitude, right? Yep. That that feeling of gratitude. It changes everything. Yeah. And think about, Candace, when you when you go in that default mode, when someone cuts you off, you don't just stop thinking about it instantly, right? Right. I mean, how many times has someone cut you off in traffic and you carry that? It, it that brief trigger turns into an all day downward spiral. Mm, it sure can. Then. Yeah. yeah. Now think about if we were intentional and turned that upside down, created that upward spiral and we carried that through the day instead. Right. I love though the empowering message behind what you're saying, which is we all face moments of choice where we get to pull ourselves out of unconscious instinctive impulsive behavior that may not be productive that may make things worse and instead intentionally practice positive psychology gratitude um reframing and and seeing that moment of choice as how might i look at this at this situation in a way that would pull me out of the negative spiral and instead have a effect on it sends me into a better place yeah we actually have a visual that we use. Um, it's from the Center of Creative Leadership, but we we talk about exactly what you just said 
uh, they call it staying above the line. And so I love that language. Yeah. It's easy to remember, right? For me, it's like I'm going below the line, I'm above the line in my decision making. But what's great about this is this idea of trying to stay in a point of reflection, which is more of that positive cycle, than in rumination, which is more of that ne attaching negative emotion. And the way that they describe this visual is if you are spending your energy thinking about the past, the way it used to be, the way you wish it still was, um, you're likely to stimulate feelings of sadness and anger, right? Because you're sensing a loss, that space between um, what you used to have, how it used to be, and where you are now. And, and so that can send you into this low energy place. And, by the way, anxiety, which is when you look ahead and you're worrying about what might happen. And, you know, um, maybe even seeing that gap between who you are and how you wish you were, that can cause a lot of stress and anxiety. So those two, um, that rumination space is really something that we want people to learn to stay out of or be aware of. Just the self-awareness to say, that's really where I'm getting stuck is that I'm so worried about what happened or what I wish was going to happen or what I want to happen that I'm not staying present. And, um, and I'm not attaching any positive emotion to that. And they call that state rumination, which have you ever heard the etymology of the word rumination, Angel? I don't think I've, I've no, I don't think I have. Candace. I'm going to tell you, and then you're never going to forget it because it's just so gross. It is actually, um, rumen is another word oh, for cows. Yeah. And how a cow eats is that they chew their food, they swallow it, and then they spit it back up. And then I, they chew it some more. Yeah. And they swallow it and they spit it back up. And they chose that word so perfectly, right? Yeah. When we're in a state of rumination, we are taking something that happened and we are just chewing on it. And our yeah. brain loves to stay busy, right? So it's just, it's just chewing on it and it just won't let it go. It won't let it go. It gets locked in that state of negative rumination versus right. moving into reflection, that above the line thinking where you are attaching positive emotion to it and you're able to say, what's life teaching me now? What actions do I want to take? How do I move forward despite uncertainty and volatility and ambigu ambiguity? How do I mobilize myself into action? It's to stay in that positive frame of mind. That's the secret. That's the secret of resilient people is they stay above the line. That's exactly it. And that's exactly it. Yeah. And the antidote there is really what you're talking about, that staying in the moment, staying in the present. The other thing about staying in the present and this mindful state is that that's where you have control. That's mm -hmm. where that switch exists, is right in the middle there. Yep. You don't have control of the past. You don't have control necessarily of the future. Yep. The only place that you have control is in the moment. Yeah. So that mindfulness as a practice, we've seen a lot more um, popularity for practicing the art of being present without yeah. judgment, right? To, to stay to stay in a state of awareness where you are able to pay attention to what's actually happening 
you know, that um, capability is something like I never taught that in corporate America, never, ever taught that in corporate America until about like six, seven years ago. And I was actually afraid of teaching mindfulness in corporate America. I thought people would think it was really woo woo. Yeah. But boy, has it become mainstream. To, and the health to, benefits to are do that. remarkable. Yeah. Are remarkable. Yeah. There's just too much information for us to take in and digest <laughs> for us to not practice mindfulness right it's now. It's true. It's true. Um, so these are really good practical things for us to, to encourage people to work out for themselves is what am I ruminating on? How can I create more upward spirals in my thinking? How do I pull myself into that state of reflection um, and really just recognizing the impact of gratitude, mindfulness, and I guess mental well-being in order to stay resilient. Yeah. Um, if I'm a leader of a team, and boy, are there a lot of them out there right now who might be listening to this podcast, they're responsible for the performance of others, and they're starting to notice the change fatigue, the um, the impact of everything that's happening inside and out of, outside of the workplace and, it, and the performance of their people is starting to dip. What advice would you give to a leader like that to help them through this time? I, I think most in, importantly is to create an environment that gives opportunities for people on the team to experience positive emotions. Mm. Um, Say more about it's that. N- it's not just gratitude. Gratitude, as I said, is a superpower, but, but even joy, awe, uh, social connection, those are equally important. Mm. So any opportunity to, to create positive emotion, humor yeah. is an opportunity. We all know how humor, when there's a tense moment in a boardroom, somebody can crack a joke and just, kind of lighten it all down. Yeah. 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 Lightens it all back up. One of the ways that I did this um, when I was working as a forensic interviewer was kind of covertly. Um, You mentioned uh, mindfulness being woo-woo. A lot of the law enforcement that I worked with found my positive psychology world a little woo-woo at the time. And (laughs) so I had to kind of get it in under the radar. And what I did was when I did interviews, I would be in a room with the person I was interviewing and the team would be in another adjacent room, mm-hmm. closed circuit, watching what was happening. Yeah. I put a whiteboard in that observation room and I wrote on the top in permanent marker, tell me something good. Tell me something and good. Tell me something good. That's a really good song too. Tell me It's it's got a great soundtrack, right? I love it. Intervention itself. Yes. And initially, I never brought it to anyone's attention. It was just showed up there one day. Mm. I left the markers in the tray and I would write things up there. Mm. Successful case outcomes. uh, Someone brought me coffee and just express my gratitude. My the little things, the little gifts, little things. That's what gratitude is. It's recognizing the little gifts in our life. So writing those things up there. Well, the next thing I knew, and I had hoped it would work this way, they were filling up that board. Mm. And I have, I still have 
an album on my phone of snapshots of that board and the things that they wrote. Because just the act mm. of writing those things down and thinking about them. And then it, it was kind of that upward spiral too, because writing <sighs> it down created this upward spiral and more social connection. They talked about things that they saw. They played off of one another with those things. So yeah. it just created more and more positive emotion. And there's science behind that too, but we can save that for another day. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I always told my, my more reluctant um, people that would play along with me that fell prey to my woo-woo positive psychology that I'm not making this stuff up. I'm not making there's, this stuff up. There's, there's research. Well, and I think that that's really important for for people. You and I both run into skeptics even still when we start to talk about deeply human development and neuroscience of human performance, that there are people who just, you know, they were raised to lead in a certain way. And some of the things that we're saying you should be doing instead are counter to the way we were raised to lead. But, um, you know, caring about people, promoting connection, creating the conditions of psychological safety and making sure that people have a positive experience every day at work. Like we see the role of leaders is to create the conditions for human performance. You and I are encouraging these things because we study neuroscience. Like we know what's happening in the human brain and the impact that has. If, if, if you don't do that, if you don't prime the brain for learning and performing. Um, it's really interesting to talk with you, you know, you, you said to me, the advice that grandma gave us yeah. once upon a time, what's, what's yeah. the advice grandma gave us once upon you know, a time? You know, um, I, grandma used to tell us, count your blessings, yeah. right? And it turns out that the research has caught up with grandma. Research has caught up with grandma. She was right all along and the That's research right. has got her back. There is big payoff in just recognizing the good. And you are actually rewiring your brain when you do that. Mm -hmm. If you can come up with three good things every day and spend some time reflecting on them, try to think about those things. W one example here is, have you ever been in that situation where you've got your arms full of stuff, you're walking up to the entrance to a building, somebody's 10 feet ahead of you, maybe eight, and they turn back over their shoulder and they let the door close behind them. And your stuff maybe goes everywhere and you're trying to hook the door with the heel. And, and it's so frustrating and we can get ourselves so wound up and angry about that and yeah. storm into where, whatever meeting we're going to. And it just sets us up, those negative emotions. And, and it puts us down that negative negativity spiral. And in contrast, think about how long you carry that, right? But in contrast, when someone holds the door open for you and you come right in, do you ever ruminate on that? Right. Do we ever ruminate on the good? Hmm. That's the mindset change. And the more you practice ruminating on the good, noticing the good, bringing that back up. Right. <laughs> I don't know that I want to use that. <laughs> it's unforgettable. It is it's unforgettable. unforgettable. <laughs> but, but think about it. Mm -hmm. A re-experience, really brief, trigger things that happen to us. And when we mm. do that, we continue dumping that stress hormone into our bodies. 
Yeah. We continue. Our bodies would naturally flush that out in 90 seconds and yeah. we can stretch it out over a day, yeah. sometimes days, weeks, years. Yeah. We spend thinking about those things and it's yeah. all our brain. Bringing it back. Bringing it back up. And having that ongoing effect on our body, on our performance. So if our brain has a primitive negativity bias, what you are encouraging us to develop as a muscle in the gym of resilience is the positivity bias. And we will become a more resilient person and we will be performing better at work. And sometimes people need help to do that. So checking in on each other, supporting each other, increasing that positivity in the workplace, incredibly important to help everybody get through this very challenging time. Angel, thank you so much for joining us here in the Leadership Living Room. Someday, I hope that our paths put us in the same building uh, so that we will be able to connect in person. Um, I have loved this conversation, and I hope that this conversation helps a whole lot of people. We believe that you shouldn't just leave this podcast sitting here. Uh, If you listen to this podcast and you found that it was helpful, we would love to offer to you a team talk that you can go and have with your people in your organization about this topic. So you can go out on our website. Um, You can either go out on the leadershiplivingroom.com or the peopleside.com. And we have these team talks available to you about staying resilient at work. And you're going to get a warm-up exercise that encourages people to reflect on what they might be ruminating about, what they're having a tough time being resilient about, and then coming into a conversation with each other where they have a chance to share that and process that with their team leader. And we think that that's important. Like if you ignore the lack of resilience in your organization, it tends to just magnify instead of minimize. And so we think that this conversation is actually allowing people to surface what's happening and collectively develop resilience together. So if you are interested in having this conversation with your team, it is all packaged up and ready for you to do that. Angel, you truly are an angel. Um, You jumped in really quick with us. So thank you for sharing your positivity and your energy with us today in the Leadership Living Room. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us in the Leadership Living Room today. We really hope that you found this conversation to be valuable. If you want to learn more about this topic or you want to lead this conversation with your team, go check out the show notes for this episode. You can also help us reach and teach more leaders in the world by sharing and subscribing to this podcast. That way we can tell you when new episodes become available. My team is on a mission to humanize the workplace one leader at a time. So we invite you to learn more about what we're doing by visiting our website at www.